RPC Sermons Podcast. Today's episode is a special episode from our Facebook Live series entitled Closing the Distance. These are unscripted conversations with the pastors of RPC and various special guests reflecting on topics from our ongoing sermon series. If you're interested in learning more about this community of faith, visit roswellprez.org. Slocum. I'm one of the associate pastors, and it is my privilege to get to interview Jeff um, on his awesome sermon yesterday that he preached for Confirmation Sunday. Um, it has been a minute. We, You did this really cool thing, just to explain why it's been a minute. Through Lent, you pulled in various theologians, professors, authors to talk about various spiritual practices, which was a fantastic series. That was really, really well done. So if anybody is listening and they have not gone back to listen to those, would definitely encourage people to do that. That was really good. Most definitely, they were really great. It was really fun to kind of get some outside perspectives outside of like the RPC uh, world. And um, I think it was really, really insightful. Uh, it was really fun for me to reconnect with a lot of these folks that I've known for years. And um, yeah. and uh, they brought a lot of wisdom to the bear and really broad ranging wisdom, everything from like fasting and like simplicity to contemplation and prayer and it was just really cool so i uh, thanks everybody for for doing that and check it out if you haven't and that sounds interesting yeah absolutely um and then we've started a new sermon series yesterday you started a new sermon series called hidden god and we're looking at different um stories in scripture where god was at work and it was it wasn't apparent in the very beginning to the person who is interacting with god too so i'm actually really excited about this sermon series i thought yesterday it was such a powerful sermon. Loved how you kicked it off. I'm really looking forward to there were as you were talking, I haven't looked yet to see what all your different scriptures are, but it made me think about different ones. And so I'm waiting to see what all the stories you're going to include in this series. I'm really excited about this. Thanks, Lindsay. Yeah, it was it was really fun to pick out this series because and I honestly I forget what passage I've, I've selected. So because it's been a while, but I've been wanting to do a series like this. Um and you know, I was thinking about it and they're just like in scripture, it's almost like God being seen and revealed to us is almost the exception rather than the rule. I mean, you think about the new Testament, mm. basically the gospels are all about how people don't get it. People don't understand. People are, are mm -hmm. seeing without perceiving they're um, listening or hearing without listening. Um, you know, it's, it, it's almost like counterintuitive. Uh, you know, we think the Gospels are about, oh, it's going to be readily apparent to everybody that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the son of God, that, that he's come to save the world, you know, and, and really it's mostly like he, the disciples like stumbling over themselves, like getting it wrong and in like very creative new ways. <laughs> so <Yes. laughs> it's going to be, yes. uh, it's really fun to think about that um, and, and really be deliberate about it. So I'm really excited for this series too. 
Yeah, yeah. Which on one hand, it's very inspiring that the disciples are so thick in the head because we also, I think, really struggle with so much of that. Um, but I actually, okay, I have a lot of things, questions about our, the scripture from yesterday and various things. But since you kind of brought that point up, I'm just going to skip all the way straight to the really the heart of what I want to ask you about since you're kind of already bringing up this 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 um, concept of God revealing God's self and people not getting it. And it seems like it should be clear. So, okay. So I just kept thinking yesterday during your sermon, what, what you're really wrestling with and, and um, pulling us into wrestle with are these kind of concepts of revelation, right? And, you know, with it, so there's a million pieces to this. Okay. So you're kind of this, how does God reveal God's self? And it immediately led me to this question of if if God's choosing to reveal God's self, how is it, why is it that we, why is it we don't get it? Like, it seems like if this is God's intention, how is that something that we are so clearly missing? And I, I did think about back to my theology 101 class when we were talking about general revelation and special revelation. So I don't know if you want to speak to all of that, because I, I, I think that there are ways that God is extra particular and gives us more information through this and that special revelation or whatever. But I don't know. I, I guess I just wanted to kind of continue on that, that kind of wrestling that you, you invited us into yesterday with, with God revealing God's self and what does that look like? And why is it that God is still hidden when the intention is for God to be revealed? You know what I mean? Do you see what I'm saying? How I'm like wrestling with all this? Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. Let's start out with Carl Bart says, and, and Bart was one of the great theologians of, on Revelation not the book of revelation, but like God revealing God's self to us. Yeah. And he yeah. said, um, God is hidden in his revealedness and revealed in his hiddenness. And mm. people are, okay, that's what, what in the world's going on there? Well, Bart is a, he's a dialectical theologian, which means a dialectical thing is where you say things that are opposite, but are still both true, but it's like a paradox. And so, but you can't hold them both in your mind at the same time. And F. Scott Fitzgerald said that was the first, that was the foremost trait of a first-rate intelligence. Told two <laughs> opposing ideas in your mind at the same time still remain retain the ability to function. So, but um, so Bart talks about this. And why why do why do we need dialectical thinking? Why do we need God is hidden in his revealedness, but revealed in his hiddenness? Okay. Well, because most of the time we think God is just a really big version of a human being. And, and that what in biblically would be called idolatry, turning the infinite God into a finite thing, you know, and it was much easier when people made, um, you know, little calf images that they would worship or little idols. And we go, well, surely God isn't, God's way bigger than that little idol. Well, God's also way bigger than our ideas about God. Okay. But that doesn't mean that God hasn't revealed God's self to us. It just means we can't understand all that there is to to know and, and control God with our minds. So God, I believe, is revealed to us in Jesus Christ, who is the center of Holy Scripture and Scripture witnesses to that revelation, the Old Testament in anticipation, the New Testament in witness, okay? Now, now you ask about general and special revelation. I tend to be very, I mean, I've just read too much Karl Barth, and I read too much about the Nazis to think too much that we can we can know just look out at nature and think we can um, 
see who God is. And so people say, well, I saw God in this beautiful sunset the other night over the ocean on vacation. It's like, well, yeah. Well, how do you know that that's representing God? And you look at a Petri dish of cancer cells that are growing and growing. And, and how can you tell the difference, which is good and which is bad, unless you have some rule or some, some um, uh, uh, orientation to make decisions and evaluations about good and bad and, um, and or beauty and ugly, um, uh, uh, good and evil. And so I think I would say Jesus Christ as witness to the Holy Scripture gives us that, um, gives us that uh, orientation, that um, scale or, or, or uh, kind of lens with which we can look at the world. Um, and then, and, and through that lens, then we make sense of scripture and we can make sense of the beautiful sunrise and the Petri dish full of cancer cells. That's my kind of thumbnail sketch of how I make sense of, or try to make sense of some of these questions. Right, exactly. And yes, that's really helpful. I think that that's just as you're talking through that second half with the general and special revelation, like that's, I think why us good reformed theologians need the special revelation and um, just that kind of recentering us back on who Jesus was um, and, and the word of God, just the very kind of particulars where God is being more specific as opposed to the general, like, God in nature and um yeah okay so and I, and I just want, I want to be careful and say this that like I think you can look out at nature um yes. and see God's presence in the world the beauty of creation but what I'm saying is is that doesn't get you to like a God like what it doesn't give you much content of who God is and if you first start in Christ then you say, oh, if this is God's revealedness, now I can see the spirit. I recognize these qualities that Christ, um, you know, teaches about, uh, embodies out in nature. Um, and so then I can, then I go, oh, that's, that I recognize beauty. Um, and that's kind of my understanding as a, as a reformed Christian. Absolutely. Although back to even kind of where we started. Mm -hmm. So the disciples, right, they actually have Jesus walking around with them. They have God mm -hmm. in, in flesh walking around with them and still struggle to understand when it is that God's being revealed to them. And just to make matters even more complicated, by the way, in the gospel, several times the Wednesday women were like, we're studying the book of Luke. There's been times when Jesus very clearly revealed himself as God or God's son, and then turned around and told everybody, don't tell anybody what's going on <laughs> to right. make it even more complicated. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, cause we have to see with the eyes of faith. Um, even if you saw Jesus walking around, that doesn't necessarily say, how do you, how do you understand him as fully divine and fully human? Right. Cause it's, you know, even he, there were other wonder workers, um, you know, in the, uh, at the time. And so I think you, it's, it's a gift of grace to believe, I would say, um, that God allows us to believe and gives us the gift of faith. And that's why we can't take credit for ourselves. We just say, joy, joyfully, our we should live lives of gratitude. Um, but, and then we never think we get to the end of our exploring and our understanding of who God is. And we never think, oh, I, 
I've really, I've really figured things out for my life and who God is, who I am, how I should relate to others. And now I'm done. You know, mm. that's, that's not where it, it's this perpetual kind of learning and unlearning certain things about ourselves and about God and about the world. And that's why um, I think, you know, people, some people think like the vision of heaven is going to be a really boring place. Where we're going to sit on little clouds playing our violins with cherub, you know, with wings or whatever. And okay. it's like, oh, if, if God is infinite, there's never going to be a time where it would be unexciting to continue to grow, to continue to develop, mm. experience beauty and joy and, um, and understand uh, things that we didn't understand before. So that's uh, kind of my kind of vision of, of how things kind of work. Okay, that's super helpful. That's super helpful because another thing I felt like yesterday, so one of the other things I wrestled with coming out of the sermon is that there was some bounce, there, not that you were bouncing around. I, I think that there's this constant, let me think how I want to understand it. I, I'm, what I'm trying to say is that they're in the midst of God's revelation and especially looking about how Jacob experienced it, there is a role, and this is what you were speaking to yesterday too, that there is a role that we have in this exchange, if you will. Um, and and so just now when you're talking about eyes of faith and this idea of journey as we continue to, to experience God, um, I think that that's really helpful too. But I think that that was one of the things yesterday that was really interesting thinking about our own journey, about what does it mean for God to reveal God's self to us, but that the that there is a role that we have in that. And so kind of sharpening our, our eyes of faith and engaging in spiritual practices. Um, I, I think that's part of what needs to call us to that as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I think, yeah. Uh, and my thing is like, it's a real tension. I think in my thinking is to hold to, okay. Things are, can be sufficient. Okay, so I can be sufficiently trust in God, believe in God, but it's not exhaustive. It's not, I'm not done yet. There's, you know, and I think, you know, in, the, in Reformed theology, we separate it between like justification, sanctification, right? I can believe that I'm justified. I'm, I'm Christ has made me righteous through the Holy Spirit, blah, blah, blah. Okay, but am I done? No, I continue to grow in sanctification, um, but I'm not earning anything, but I'm becoming the person God has created and called me to be um, on my journey. And I think these practices that we talked about during Lent are some of the ways that help us grow. And I think like, I, you know, Lindsay, I, I love sports. And so like, it's the NBA playoffs. So let's talk about this. Let's make an analogy between like basketball, right? So mm -hmm. if, if like Giannis for the Timberwolves comes in and he's like, comes to the NBA, he's like, well, I made it to the NBA, I'm done. You know, well, I, right. I don't need to practice anymore. I'm good. I'm the Greek freak. So this is great. No, he says, okay, I've made it, but now I need to become a better dribbler. So I need to, I need to practice my dribbling. Mm -hmm. I need to, I need to work on my free throw shooting. I mean, he was a disaster for a while. If you want to continue to get better and, and when will you ever arrive at I'm, I'm, I'm the perfect basketball player. Right. It's not. And so I think if, but that doesn't mean you should just throw your hands up and say, well, there's no point in trying to grow. No, part of the point is continuing to grow. And the exciting part is there's no finish line. It's like, mm -hmm. I, I talk to people like a lot of, you know, um, I don't know if you talk to your people, you, if you're getting married who you're kind of meeting with in premarital counseling, but 
I try to like marriage, you know, when you get married, a lot of, I, I've known a lot of people that thought that was the finish line. Like once yeah. I found my guy or my gal or my, my person, then we're done. You know, then it's just like, okay, cool. It's like, no, that's the starting line. Right. Yeah. You never finish getting to know your partner, right? You never finish a falling in love. And I think one of the sad things is like, you know, you hear these kind of cliche that you, one day I woke up, you know, in bed and I looked at my partner on the other pillow and I didn't recognize who they were, you know, or something like that. It's like, well, that's really sad. And I yeah. think in our relationship with God is like that, that like we have to continue to develop it and, um, and explore it and grow it. Not that we'll ever, it'll be exhaustive, but or exhausted, but that will continue to grow. Yes. And I think one of the things I love so much about your language, or I appreciate so much about your language is with this description of journey and relationship is that these, um, these practices that you've talked about, um, they are to help us to know God better and to see God better, but they do not force God to reveal God's self. Like God is already there and at work. And so it, what we're doing is we're growing to our eyes to see that better. And, and even, you know, the line that you like so much from the passage where Jacob says, you know, that God was here and I knew it not, or I didn't know he was here, but um, so it's, it's kind of Jacob's participation in that journey and Jacob's growing to be able to see God at work. So it's not that we're trying to like force God to reveal God's self, that God has been revealed. And then lots of ways, like we just talked about in the general and the special and the specifics, but um, part of our own discipleship is it is acknowledging that and getting better and better at recognizing it. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the great things I think, Lindsay, we get to do as pastors, but any Christian um, should should be good at is a recognizing, you know, God's work in somebody's life. And, you know, I can say, you know, Lindsay, that baptism on Saturday, that was a really holy moment. And I hope you didn't go through it perfunctorily and, you know, and, you know, and pass it off as if like God wasn't at work, but look at all the things that had to come together for that moment to happen. God was behind the scenes. There was a lot of times you wondered, was God there? Did God have a purpose? You know, what was the point of all this? Am I just, you know, and it was like this baptism, welcoming this young man into the body of faith in this kind of unique way. And that was really exciting. But I think there's a lot of times if, if, you know, if you've done a lot of baptisms, if you've, you know, helped a lot of people, you take it for granted and you fail to recognize. And I think um, as we grow in our faith, we can encourage people by saying, dude, did you know what a great singer you are? I just, I was standing in front of you yesterday. And when we sang that hymn, I was like, wow. Or, or, you know, the way you greet people when they come in, the, your, your gifts for hospitality are incredible. And I just, you make people feel so welcome. You show the hospitality of God. When you do that, I think that we can do that. And I think that's having the eyes of faith. That's saying, wow, God is in this place. And I did not know it. Mm. Did you mm. notice I chose to do the NRSV version? I didn't go. I did. <laughs> I did. I did. But in my head, I still hear you say, and I knew it not. <laughs> I know. I love the King James, but in the end, I was just like, I think it'd be too distracting. So, and I was just like saying it too much. Well. It does, it does sound good. And you're such a poet too. So I can, I mean, I can see where you'd be drawn to that. <laughs> okay. So that, okay. So as you're saying all that, this totally 
I kind of accidentally circles us back to yeah. a question that I had already, but I'm like, okay, this is, this is good. Because one of the questions that I had coming out of this passage was, I go all the way back to the beginning and you tell us that Jacob has tricked his brother twice, got his birthright and his blessing. Um, and then he has to run away. So it, from a reader's perspective, we're not exactly on Jacob's side at this point. I mean, he's he's had some shenanigans and now he's running away. And so this passage that we pick up is the first time that Jacob's alone. And so part of me is like, I don't know, I guess I was like, does he deserve to get this reassurance from God that God is still there and God is still present? But as you're talking, um, I guess it kind of, get, there's a million things that could be going on, right? That this could be a reassurance that in spite of the fact that you've really kind of pulled some shenanigans, that God is still at work or so maybe in the midst of his guilt or shame, or maybe it's a, um, a, a pro, I don't know, maybe it's a promise of hope that what's coming next and that there will be a reconciliation within the family or, I don't know. I don't, anyway, I don't know if you want to think, talk yeah. any about why Jacob gets to be the one who gets this reassurance, but just as you were talking now, I thought that really that fits in there really well. That, that, that reassures me that it was good news that God was showing up and giving those promises to Jacob. Yeah. I mean, Jacob is not a good guy. Like he's, you know, and I think uh, I once had an old Testament professor say this. He said, um, if you read a passage and, and you interpret the hero of the story being someone other than God, you've got the wrong answer. Mm. And I think, I think this is just the way sometimes God works in the mystery of divine providence God chose Abraham, I mean, in the land of Ur. And he says, I, I'm going to bless you so that you and your family so you can bless the world. And sometimes they respond and try to bless the world. And other times they try to keep the blessing for themselves. And sometimes they could care less about the covenant over the next, you know, hundreds of years. And I think Jacob is just one, you know, so you have Abraham, you have Isaac. Remember, God commands Abraham at one point to sacrifice his son, Isaac. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're, we're like, what? And then, <laughs> you, and then, you know, and then Isaac has Esau and Jacob. And, and Jacob is a trickster, a schemer. And, and, and I think that that's just sometimes God works through people that um, it's, a, it's a mystery. And I think uh, I remember back, I think I maybe used this in a sermon not too long ago, but Anthony Bourdain, who's the famous uh, chef and um, writer, he wrote uh, Kitchen Confidential, was his first really big book. And then okay. he did a bunch of cooking shows where he traveled around the world, seeing how other cultures experience culinary delights. But in Kitchen Confidential, he tells a story about this baker who just made the most amazing bread ever. He said, and they said they had no idea how this guy did it. He lived, he worked at this shishi restaurant in Manhattan. And Anthony Bourdain said, this guy was a total mess person. Like he, he probably had a criminal record, like, you know, pages and pages along, um, could fill like a phone book. He said, he said he, he would show up like, or not show up at times. And just like, you could never count on him, but he could, he, they kept him there because he made the most amazing bread he had ever tasted and had no idea how he did it. And, and Anthony Bourdain actually in, in the book has to go to the theological and he says, this man has been just blessed by God. And, there, and I have no other reason for it, that he can create this divine goodness. And I think that that's, I, I, that's one of the fun things about life, I think. It's like when you meet somebody who's a total mess, but they happen to be really good at one thing. And you're like, 
man, why did God bless you like that? <laughs> you know, you didn't do anything to deserve this. And you're just like, well, so, so be it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but I think that it also, and again, we kind of said we started here as well, but there's something very hopeful in the midst of that, that God is using these unlikely people. And, um, and, and so not only is God revealing God's self to people who are very unlikely and, and don't deserve it, right? Like clearly don't deserve it. Like that's the good news for us, but then really using them to do these really important things. And so, um, so maybe that continues to be a call then on our own lives to be like, sharpening those eyes of faith and engaging in those disciplines that you talked about. And yeah. And the promise is there like for Jacob and you'll see this. I mean, throughout the old Testament is like, even when the Israelites forsake the promise, God's promise, God's covenant promise is there for them. And, and God remains faithful when they remain uh, and choose unfaithfulness to the promise. And I think, um, you know, as Christians, we, I interpret in many ways the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as a promise, promise that God will triumph ultimately over the powers of sin and death. And that's kind of God's promise that one day will come to culmination at the end of, end of all things. Mm. And I think now it's my ch choice is I get, do I respond to the promise and believe and trust in the promise? Or I say, do I reject the promise and go my own way? And that's one of the kind of the fundamental ways that I understand my Christian faith um, as a response to God's promise. And I think re reading the Old Testament and the New Testament in terms of promise is really, is really helpful because um, it kind of personalizes it in how you're going to respond to it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And I, I thank you for that. I don't want us to leave the conversation without kind of circling to, to one of the things you said at the end, because I feel really, really strongly about this, but um, you also talked about the stone or the monument that Jacob pulled out and this, this kind of idea of marking and being really intentional about how you mark when you saw God at work or, or how, when you saw God reveal God's self, like, um, you know, writing down your story, telling your story. When I teach baptism classes to our um people who are bringing their kids to be baptized i talk about this all the time because you know we we are generally baptizing little infants they're not going to remember the day and so like writing down the story writing down your story to tell your kids writing down these things that happen in the kids lives or or just even as an adult being able to go back and reflect on here are the ways times that we saw god at work it continues to remind us then in those places where god does feel very hidden we have this like journal if you will or we have this evidence that god is is indeed at work and we can kind of reflect back on that and i just I was glad you included that in the sermon yesterday. I just feel so strongly about marking that story and telling it and being really tangible about marking it, whether it's writing it down or building a stone or whatever it is. But um, so I thank you for including that. I think that's a really important point. Well, thanks, Lindsay. I thank you. And it's, I think part of the reason that part stuck out to me is because as Americans, you know, we're, we're so forward looking. We care about the future, what's new, what's innovative. What's, um, you know, forget the past, we're moving forward. And, and for us as Christians, I think it's really important to remember the past and, and, and to figure out ways that we can honor it, um, that we remember it, that, and it, it spurs us on to the future. Um, yeah. And I think, so I'm glad you appreciated that. And I, and I think like as families, like I love, 
like encouraging, like hearing about how families have unique traditions that they, that they celebrate Christmas that all oh, remember the Christmas in 1992, you know, when, you know, when, when Jimmy John, you know, uh, <laughs> broke grandma's vase, you know, and, and now we always look at the broken vase and we remember grandma taking her in her arms and him in his arms and just loving yes. her. You know, like things like that, like sharing stories. Honestly, like one of the reasons I try to use a lot of stories in my preaching is because I want to honor those experiences in my own life and uh, kind of model for what I think is really helpful um, for people, to, for communities, for families to keep people together and to celebrate and remember the past and learn from it uh, as it points us towards the future. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I feel like that's a conversation RPC is constantly trying to have is just really honoring where we've been and the fact that we get to drink from wells we didn't dig, but also being really thoughtful about where God's calling us to go next. So I, I'm always grateful for your leadership in that, that conversation as well. I know that you um, have a sick kid, so we hope that men will feel better. I do want to let you know this morning uh, in staff meeting, we um, so we always take time at the beginning of our staff meeting to celebrate different things that have gone on and how we've seen God at work. And uh, uh, one of our staff said that they had already that they were going to make a joke about uh, Dan's part in staff meeting this morning, but he, he had beat them to it. He had made a joke about how he didn't have a hair part, and so you, <laughs> <laughs> and so we were going to tease Dan about not having any hair and not having a hair part, but. So we, we talked more about your sermon and, and when you part your hair and where you part it and if, we, if anybody had noticed at church. So <laughs> That's so funny. And I was so anyway. bummed because my wife was uh, on the way to church and then my daughter got sick and so she missed the sermon. And I think she would have gotten a real kick out of, uh, out of remembering that story. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we were we were all laughing about it, and then you know, then it then of course that erupts into like how many people on staff no longer have to worry about where they're parting their hair. So Dan and Scott and Hunter, <laughs> so we got to talk about that. But anyway, we do hope that Mem feels better. And I've heard her cough a couple little times in the background. Bless her heart. I hope she feels better soon. Yeah, better. Yeah.